yeah, I think it's it's surprising how how much resistance because of the stigma is still there. I mean, we have not successfully removed the stigma, and a lot of people really want to be on on the record as being supportive, but they're scared to try it. I mean, there's a lot of programming inside all of us. There was programming inside of me when I looked at it the first time, and I was like, "Am I re ready to kind of jump into this and and face these you know these risks that I was taught as a kid that I'm going to go insane and go." You know, jump out a window and all this stuff. I don't know if you've heard of reefer madness. I was I was just gonna say, you know, a lot of people will know of this of this time of reefer madness. That man, if you do this, your you know. life's gonna fall apart. Before we get into this episode of the Cultural Hall, I would ask you to think: What is my attitude towards marijuana use and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints? Where do I fall? Where do I reside? What am I comfortable with? What am I not comfortable with? What do I even know about marijuana? And, well, you know, what are those questions that you still have? Take a second, take inventory within yourself, and, uh, and see where you're at. Then what I want you to do is listen to this episode of The Cultural Hall. Then what I want you to do is at the end, see if you've been opened up to anything then that would be different from what you did at the start. Can you do it? That's a challenge. Is there anything that stands in the way of you being able to do it? That's my old uh, commitment pattern stuff from when I served a mission. Take a second, really, hit pause real quick, write down uh, all your sort of feelings around marijuana, even just basic questions. Man, you will hear me fumble my way through this episode as we talk about marijuana and the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. This episode is going to be uh, all about cannabis, or is it marijuana, or is it the devil's lettuce, or what do we call it, or what do we call it in certain uses, or, you know, it's going to be all about marijuana. And I don't even know if that's the proper phrase. I'm going to be learning right alongside with you. I have with me Maggie Slight, and there's an E at the end. That is a slight mistake. Apparently, there's some family history mystery there. I'm excited to not only say family history mystery a couple more times, but to get to the bottom of that. And I'm also joined by Nathan Frodsham, which, what an unfortunate last name when you're trying to tell the people tell people the truth about things, to have the last yeah. name Frodsham. Yeah, it, it doesn't it do you any help. haunt me, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's start there with uh, Maggie. A little bit, you said family history with your last name. Let's get to know you a little bit first. Okay, well, because I'm a temple and family history consultant, I have, well, been digging into my family history since before I was in the church. And one of the mysteries that I uncovered was I had been told most of my life by my father that his, whoever in his family that had added the E had lost their lives on Lake Ontario in a shipping accident. Well, I had to dig into that. And the ship was uh, the Emerald. It was a schooner. And it was his great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, Thomas Slight, who was living in Port Hope, Ontario at the time with his uh, I'd say alongside of his father, who was also Thomas Slight. Hmm. <laughs> now, when I looked at the census, they both had the same religion at one point, and they both had the same spellings of their name. The next census done 10 years later, 
shows that the younger Thomas Slight added the E to the end of his name and changed his religion. Hmm. So before he could put to paper or anybody could record why he had done that, um, we, we can all assume that maybe it had something to do with perhaps some family drama that was going on. He ended up losing his life on the Emerald Schooner, which went down in Lake Ontario um, in the very early 1900s. I believe it was 1905, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's a little bit about Maggie. What about Fraud Sham? Is that just a uh, someone that came to the United States through... Uh through the island and decided Ellis Island, Ellis island is no. but like, listen, I know what my profession is going to be fraud sham. <laughs> no, it's actually an English. It's a town in England. So, you know, how um, a ham or a hamlet is short for ham, like Nottingham or Birmingham. Sure. Or, there was a town that was uh, founded by, I guess, uh, a great captain in the middle ages named Froda. And so frauds ham is what it is. So it's Frodsham. It's been modernized, but yeah, it, it looks like Frodsham, but it's Frodsham. Oh, okay. So yeah. You just took away some of my fun, but I may continue to call you <laughs> Nathan Frodsham. Not, not only yours, I promise. <laughs> now, this has nothing, obviously, up to this point to do with uh, marijuana, but that's what we want to talk about within this episode, uh, about cannabis, about hemp, about, you know, I'm, I'm really... I'm not very experienced in most of this. We have talked about it before in the cultural hall, um, but not in the depth that I hope that we will get to today. So let's start there. Um, maybe you guys can piggyback it back and forth. But when we talk about um, marijuana, what is the difference with that than with cannabis, than that with hemp? And let's just sort of qualify the terms that we're going to use today. Um, whichever one of you would like to take it or if you guys want to tag team it. Um, we can tag team, but um, I'll, I'll I'll say the basics, and I know Maggie can go into more depth. But cannabis is actually the the scientific term; it's the actual true term. Uh, marijuana is the term for it's a it's a term for um, tobacco for wild tobacco in Mexico, and that was a term that they used to actually change the uh, to market against this in the early I think it was the 1920s when they had a campaign to to demonize cannabis, they, they tried to rename it to marijuana, uh, which is actually um, just slang, but the true term is cannabis. And so we try and use that. Um, okay. Maggie, Maggie may have more detail on that. Right. Um, I prefer the term cannabis because it is the cannabis sativa plant. Um, it also, the word marijuana brings with it, like Nathan mentioned, the history. Um, there's also a large amount of racism mixed in with that history. And it just brings in contention. And so I try to steer clear of contention and I steer clear of that word. <laughs> <laughs> so when we say, so just let me reiterate, so we're all on the same page. When I say cannabis or when I say marijuana, I likely mean the same thing. But hemp is not Correct. the same thing, but comes from the same plant or is it or where do we, this is where, <laughs> this is where uh, yeah. a non-drug induced haze sort of falls over my eyes and I go, I, I don't know what we're talking about. Well, in, in preparation for that question, I printed off a study <laughs> that I actually alluded to in an article that I wrote about the fact that cannabis and hemp are different. Um, the genetic structure of marijuana and hemp is the title of the study, and they use that word to delineate um, between the two cultivars, if you will, of cannabis sativa plant. Um, 
the difference between the cannabis sativa plant that your med medical marijuana or your medical cannabis comes from and the hemp plant are about is about the genetic difference between a European Caucasian person and an Asian person. Okay. That's the amount of difference. And that's it's literally what the paper says <laughs> when it comes down to it. Um, that being said, there are a lot of qualities to both plants that have multiple uses. This distillation of THC, Delta 9 THC to be specific, is, is what people talk about when they talk about the drug marijuana or the medical use for. They're talking, everybody wants to talk about the fact that it gets you high. Well, that high is the interaction between Delta 9 THC, which is a cannabinoid, which is one of over 700 chemical compounds of the cannabis sativa plant, and part of your body, which is called a cannabinoid receptor. Um, and it wasn't discovered until the 1990s that our bodies contain an entire system of receptors and um, different ways that, the, the, that our body's chemicals react with the components of cannabis as well as in anything else. The endocannabinoid system, as it's now been named, um, was not discovered in the human body until the 1990s. Um, you and I, when we went to school, there was no endocannabinoid system. We, we learned about the circulatory system, all right, and, and other systems, but this endocannabinoid system, many of our physicians have not even heard of. Hmm. Yeah, so our, our body works with these endogenous um, cannabinoids that we actually produce, but they're actually abundant in the cannabinoid in the cannabis plant. But the reason that it was called hemp was to, so there was a, the founding fathers actually uh, grew hemp. And it was actually one of the first plants that was illegally required to grow because of its many purposes. It was used for food, it was used for textiles, it was used for rope. And it had a lot of different uh, um, practical uses. So farmers were required to grow it, but there are different varieties and people sometimes call them strains, maybe cultivars, but they have different properties. And the properties um, that tend to have more medicinal properties, people, they wanted to differentiate them kind of, um, um, I guess, with a word. And they said, well, if they have less THC or less of the psychoactive substance in it, let's call that hemp. And that's where we get the term industrial hemp. And if they have more than 0.03% THC, let's call that cannabis or marijuana. But they're essentially the same family, but they're just different varieties of the same plant, as, as I understand. Okay, okay. So, that I mean, that's a, a pretty good distinction between those three things. But then we get into, and I think this is where we start to get into muddy waters when we talk about uh, cannabis use, um, especially within the church, but I think just in general, uh, the idea of cannabis use, because there is very much a recreational use of cannabis and a medical use of cannabis. And I think mainly for the purposes of this discussion, I think we'll probably steer away um, from the recreational use of cannabis, maybe to use more of our focus towards medical. I would imagine, and I hope I'm not assuming too much for those that are listening to this or too much for those within the church, 
I think that there's probably far more leeway for members of the church to say uh, medicinal or medical use of, of cannabis is far more likely to be accepted mainstream than a recreational use of cannabis. Do you feel like that's a fair statement? Absolutely. The church is the, the church is not in favor of recreational or, uh, and when I say recreational, I don't say that recreational use as it's termed. A lot of people have switched from the term recreational to adult use, but that may be medicinal use. But what they're trying to, de to delineate when they say medicinal versus recreational is under the, the direction of a medical professional. Okay. So if you're under the direction of a medical professional who you can go to for advice and you can get some direction on how to use this plant, that's considered medicinal. And that's how the church distinguishes the two. Uh, recreational is basically using it without any direction. Maggie? Or, but I guess, or as we would say, adult use more in, in the cannabis community. What do you think about that, Maggie? Is he, does he have that on? Or you, you were sort of shaking your head a little bit being like, well, maybe, but... I actually think he's right on where it where it comes to the the church and and I appreciate his input and that's one of the reasons that I wanted uh, Nathan to come on the the show with us because he has had that interaction and he knows what they've said and what they haven't said he's heard it firsthand so it, that's important that's very important I when when I'm looking at medical use versus recreational use. There is especially, I, I want to make sure that people are using it when they're using it medically, that they are using it under the care of a physician, under a professional who understands the use of cannabis. This is critical. Um, I, I do know that several states, including Utah, have enacted laws that include um, physician education in regards to cannabis. And that is absolutely critical. They need to know what they are recommending. They need to know good guidance to give. But where I, I do want to touch it just a little bit. Um, there's, there's a section in my book that I go into a little of medical euphoria versus escapism. And one of the pieces that I was given in personal revelation, again, this is personal revelation. Mm -hmm. And in my book, I asked for people to seek personal revelation regarding this um, is it depends on the fruits. When a person with intractable pain or at the end of their life who is having cancer treatments and who is in such pain, there's a certain amount of medical euphoria that is needed, that is required for many different situations. But the question is, what are you doing with that once you've received that medicine and once you've got that calmed down, what are you then doing? Are you doing service? Are you living a gospel life or are you sitting around watching porn? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's the intent of it? <laughs> what yeah, are the I mean, there's, there's definitely a difference between medicinal, medical and recreational use and recreational is really the difference between medicinal use and recreational is really the intent of the use. Um, Cause you can not, there's places where it's illegal, where people have conditions that cannabis relieves, where they're doing it medicinally. Medical just means it's part of the medical system, the medical program. And I think that's how they're, they're making those lines. But I think you could make a case that there's recreational medicinal, which is, you know, using it medicinally outside of the doctor's recommendation because you can't, Okay. you live okay. somewhere where you can't. And then medical when you're integrated with a legal medical program. 
I think that's an important distinction. Uh, something that Maggie said I want to ask you about, Nathan. She says that you know about this with firsthand experience. Tell me a little bit about what she's referencing there. Yeah, so when I came, um, I moved to Utah and became involved with um, the legalization, of the medical legalization efforts. I worked directly, well, I consulted with the church. I have a family friend uh, who, who uh, worked with the church uh, in leadership, and he recommended we work with government affairs. And we went and presented to them about medical cannabis and started the dialogue several years ago. And, you know, it kind of evolved over time as the as the, the conversation got more pertinent as legalization efforts uh, grew up or developed here in Utah, that we started consulting more with them. And so I was um, actually consulting with them directly throughout um, the, the legalization efforts here in Utah more in the, in the last couple of years. So tell me a little bit about then what you do and then the history of where it maybe started uh, with, for, for you with working with the church and then to where it is today. Um, so I, I'm a data scientist. That's the easiest term to use. I, I do a lot of different things under that umbrella. But I was working at um, Amazon as a senior business analyst in Seattle. And I had um, been diagnosed with a condition that was pretty severe. Um, they said for my age, it was one of the, the most progressed they'd seen. Uh, for um, it was degenerative disc disease and osteoarthritis, which was causing really kind of debilitating pain over time. I could be fine for five or six hours, but once it got past eight hours, I was in, you know, just burning, felt like a sunburn on my neck, and it was really uh, affecting my work. Um, I started looking into solutions, and they said, "You're too young. Uh, to, to your your whole neck is really bad. Um, you're bone on bone, and you've got nerve cervicalgia." Um, they put me through all of these different um, specialists to see if they could fix it. Because I said, hey, whatever it takes, let's get this done. I spent about a year going through all these specialists. I spoke with an orthopedic surgeon for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, I had great insurance at Amazon. And I was seeing the, the best specialists. And at the end, they said, look, this is one of those things where there's not much we can do, but we can start looking into alternative treatments like, hey, why don't you do chiropractic aggressively for two months? And so I, I took some time off and did that. They said, what about acupuncture? What about, um, you know, any number of alternative, you know, uh, treatments? Uh, my physiatrist said, look, we've given you every round of injection and it's not working. Um, so let's, let's try that. And one of my physicians said, so, or actually I brought it up to one of my physicians. I said, well, what about medical cannabis? Is that the next thing? I said it kind of as a joke. Um, because I just thought, hey, I'm, I'm out of options and yep. I can't afford I'm willing to try everything. What what next? How yeah. about this? I've heard this. Yeah, I threw it out as a yeah. joke. I said, so what's next? Medical cannabis? And the, and the doc, she looked at me and she said, are you kidding? You haven't tried that yet? <laughs> I, you know, like, why haven't you tried that first? And I said, oh, I, 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 didn't, I don't know. I guess I had a perception that it was really only recreational. And they said, oh, my goodness. You know, I'm allergic to anti-inflammatories like so ibuprofen and and um, Aleve and all the ones that they would recommend for the, the disc degeneration in my neck because it's incredibly inflamed. And so they said, well, why don't you give it a shot? There's nothing to lose. Um, I I decided, hey, if, if the doctor recommends it, let's give it a shot. Um, and so, so I went with put, put a book, put a bookmark there for a second, because I want to ask about around that. Are, are you, in fact, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yes, absolutely. So 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 as part of that, um, maybe you hadn't had that consideration because we have such a focus within the church on the word of wisdom that you're like, man, I haven't even considered that or talk. 
talk kind of about feelings around that, because I think that that's an important part of this conversation. Yeah, I felt kind of like a little bit guilty, like, oh, really? Like, I can do that? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, but I'm, they said, why wouldn't you do it? And I said, well, I'm, I'm LDS. And they said, oh, is it against your rules? I said, well, frankly, I don't know. I'm going to have to find out. Um, but I did do a consult with the doctor and he said, yeah, your case, this is, you're perfect for this. So I, I took it to my ecclesiastical leaders and I said, look, I want to try this. I'm not necessarily asking permission, but I want to know what the implications are. Does it mean I have to forfeit my temple recommend um, to go through this experience? Because I want to try it for maybe a month or two and just see how it goes. And they said, did your doctor recommend it? I said, yeah. And they said, I don't see any problem with it. And it we it was because it was actually coincidental. I was up for temple recommend uh, renewal. And so I said, well, maybe God made this happen. So uh, the timing of this is perfect. But I, I asked them and they said, look, um, we'll check around. But as long as this is a medicinal use and you're comfortable with it, um, you should try it. So I did. And I didn't see um, I didn't see it as uh you know, there's always a learning curve with everything. And mm -hmm. I, I, it was new to me and I had some, some things to figure out to, you know, what is the high, but once I got used to it, it, it really did not seem incompatible in any way. Um, it was quite compatible. And so I, I was uh, actually feeling more spiritual. Um, not that I wasn't spiritual before, but I was feeling like it was enhancing things. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I, I took it, I, I'm a pretty cautious person. I took it very slowly and very carefully and methodically and i'm a scientist so i'm like measuring it out and doing it exactly and, and you've got you, it you've got your data journal of well i first yeah. felt a warm yeah. sensation i yeah. there's a disembodied motion that kind of thing that's funny that's funny. i was a geek about it yeah. i was a real geek about it but i was surprised that, um you know it wasn't immediate it wasn't a panacea it wasn't like overnight but i think within a month i i said wait a minute the pain is gone, you know, it's, and I don't know, it didn't happen overnight. And it wasn't like I just found the right strain. It was, I think, um, looking back on it, I was so inflamed. And I later found out that cannabis is a powerful anti-inflammatory that I'm not allergic to. Yeah. I was allergic to anti-inflammatories. I couldn't take them. And so finally, this is the first time I'd had anti-inflammation in, in, you know, years. And so I felt, wow. Um, I'm, I'm doing great. I started running, exercising. Mm. My life improved dramatically. I lost 50 pounds. It, it felt like I'd gotten my youth back. So quality of life improved incrementally. That's awesome. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to take a break right here. And when we come back, I want to pick up uh, what that first time was like for you uh, with <laughs> the, the medical cannabis. We'll come back and we'll do that in the second block of the cultural hall. <laughs> Hey, it's me, Richie T. I found myself with a little bit more time on my hands, and maybe you're finding yourself in that same position. Well, allow me to introduce you to Best Podcast Consultant in Utah. I don't have the domain, and, and really I can do this wherever because I'm doing most of the classes virtually, but if you would like to reach out to me, uh, probably the simplest way is if you just do contact at theculturalhall.com, or you can find me online richytstedman.com. You can check that out. I would love to help you if you are already established in podcast or you're thinking, you know what? I've got this downtime. It's a passion project. I've always wanted to do it. You can reach out to me. You can do contact at theculturalhall.com or find me on any social media at richytstedman. Hey, this is Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. 
one with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now, because at PC Laptops, we're here for you, and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com. Hey, it's me, Richie T., and I want to talk to you about uh, Kimura Tours. Won't you join me on a church history tour? I would love to be your travel companion. Technically, it will be my wife, but you could be on the bus with us. This is part of our 2021. Yes, we're already talking about something like that uh, for next summer. It was uh, supposed to be this summer. In fact, it was supposed to be like a couple weeks from now. It's not. It has been postponed into 2021 so that church sites will be open. We'll be able to see the Hill Kimura in its final pageantry year and also be able to see Nauvoo as well. Would love for you to come with us. These seats are filling up fast, so please do not put it off. Uh, make sure you go to KimuraTours.org. Kimura, just like it sounds, or like the hill which we talk about in the church. Tours, just like it sounds, uh, only T-O-U-R-S. It's not tours, like we say here in Utah anyway. Uh, KimuraTours.org, join us uh, and make sure you look for the cultural hall banner we're going of course with the folks from leading saints kurt and the kids uh they'll be along with us as well so make sure that you click on that tour that you go on those dates uh that way we can all be on the bus together the website is kimoratours.org here in the second block of the cultural hall if you are enjoying this episode you've enjoyed other episodes that we do and you would like to see the cultural hall continue into the future consider being a patreon saint won't you please you can go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall. And for as little as $3 a month, you can uh, you can donate some money to do things like, uh, for example, if you are a Patreon follower of the cultural hall, you'll see a very funny mug that Nathan is using during this episode. But if you're not a Patreon <laughs> subscriber, you don't get to see the video. So make sure that you go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall. Nathan, I've got to think that that first time using medical cannabis being a, a a member of the church, it's sort of a thing. Like, is this is this okay? I'm looking over my shoulder. Is the bishop going to be yeah. here? Walk yeah. me through. Walk me through what that experience was like. Um, it it wasn't as uh, dramatic as I, I expected. I mean, I think I felt, um, you know, I was expecting it to feel like alcohol, but I think if anything, it just made me more reflective and pensive. I think it's really interesting. What I didn't realize is that it wasn't all the same. I really thought I was going to go into the medical dispensary and get the same thing, marijuana. I said, Where, where's the marijuana? And they, they pulled out like six or seven different jars and they said, you want to smell it? And what? I was like, what in the world? Like, I don't know. Like, just, just give me my bag of weed, you know? Yeah. And they said, do you want edibles? Do you want pills? And Oh, I was, I was so kind of like a, I guess a little bit um, intimidated, but on the flip side saying, well, now that I've got permission, I'm a kid in a candy shop, let's try it all. So, um, but when I, I first tried it, I think there was, um, I was impressed. I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, it, it relaxed me a little bit. I, I took a small amount and then I went for a walk and I felt fine. I mean, I, I think if anything, it, it just made me feel more 
Um, uh, it calmed me down. It made me reflective, maybe a little bit more meditative, but it wasn't as dramatic as I thought. I think when the first dramatic experience I had was when I took edibles for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, edi- edibles are a lot stronger. And that's where I got into some really, you know, I took it before I went to bed. And uh, I remember having some very deep thoughts. I remember talking to my wife about them. And she said, you know, you should do this every night because you're like really relaxing me and putting this, me to sleep with all of your deep thoughts. But <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> she loved it. She said, it's really fascinating all these things that you're 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 so surprised about that are so interesting that you want to talk about them because normally I would just be like you know uh read a book or uh we would watch a show or something so I think she thought that was fun to see me that way but um yeah I think it was a little bit less of a dramatic experience than I expected I don't know about you Maggie but that's kind of how it was for me well, how was, how was that for you, Maggie, the first time? Assuming, uh, obviously, we're having this discussion because you guys both have familiarity uh, with medical cannabis. What was it like for you the first time? Well, first you have to come back and uh, roll it back a little bit. I uh, became a medical cannabis patient in 2008. I became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2013. Okay, okay. So... <laughs> First, first came the weed, then came the Mormons. I get it. I'm just yeah. Thinking. Well, I, I had I had to get the pain under control enough to actually get in touch with the fact that I felt the spiritual emptiness. Hmm. So let's talk about so let's talk about that. So uh, your pain is it similar to Nathan's or I I have a condition called Ehlers Danlos syndrome, and I actually just finally got a, a got a confirmation diagnosis in this last uh, December but I have many comorbidities um, with it that but this explains everything that had been going on in my life for the last 53 years um, so yeah at 53 years old I found out that I had a congenital disease hmm. <laughs> but those the symptoms of the, that disease had been affecting me and had caused um, many different things to happen inside my body. Um, and that caused me considerable pain. I found it was interesting because a neighbor, I had been prescribed by a physician fentanyl patches and uh, with Percocet for breakthrough pain. Fentanyl is 100 times stronger than morphine. I know that a lot of us have heard the word fentanyl late um, in the recent years uh, because of Tom Petty's death. Prince's death, um, many other local people have died. This this entire opioid e- epidemic is about, for a, a great degree, fentanyl. It is a a, a um, manufactured opioid. It's not of natural. It completely it doesn't have any natural base. Yeah, completely synthetic. Yep. So, what a neighbor had told me, and and yes, it took a neighbor. She said, "Well, have you ever tried pot for your pain?" And that's the word she used. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I I know people say it's medical, but I I, I really think they're just wanting to get high. (laughs) And, you know, I I just don't do that. I I, I hurt. I'm not I don't want to go out and party or anything like that. I hurt. And she just looked at me and she said, where's your life now? Because I was living in bed, literally Mm -hmm. living in bed. I had lost a good seven years of my life in living in bed and disability. And she said, well, she, I mean, she, she, she frankly said it, she said, where's your life now? (laughs) Well, that's kind of in bed. 
So I, at the, at the first, I started smoking um, because that's what I knew. And it relieved my pain better than the Percocet. It relieved my pain better than the patch I put on every three days. It's like, wait a minute here, this works. And I came from the background of medical. I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. I went into medical assisting because it was a, a, situ a paradigm that I could work with the doctor um, and I could get my education and, and support my family. So that was my background. Um, by, the, by the time that I had tried medical cannabis, I were cannabis for a medical reason, I was, had retired from working as a computer programmer, um, disabilities and such. What happened is in 2010, I met a man in a bar. <laughs> who, that's all, that's and, and, always where that happened. No, I'm teasing. I know, right? With my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Let me preface it that way. Yeah. And this man who I ended up being introduced to three different times by three different friends at three different times, um, told me about making, infusing butter with, with, with pop. And I went, really? I can make brownies? Okay, let's make brownies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of me learning about using cannabis really as a medicine. As, and I say that because this man was, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, I call him my unlikely missionary. He was one of the first seven patients that, um, that were legally using medical, cannabis medically in um, Washington state when the law first happened. That man um, had, at the time I met him, he had been in recovery from stage four kidney cancer for 18 years. Oh, wow. He had been given three months to live 18 years ago. Hmm. He and I uh, became friends. And um, he, that was actually the beginning of the recipe that 10 years later, I have developed into my capsules that I take about every four hours. Hmm. Simple. It's an infused cannabis. Um, it's an infused coconut oil with uh, hemp seed oil and other things. And it, and it, 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 and it provides you that relief um, from It has from, from replaced, that pain. it has replaced fentanyl and Percocet. And here's, here's the interesting part of it. As I was trying, seeking help for the pain, I ended up also accidentally replacing all of my psych meds and um, controlling my PTSD much easier. Hmm. I had a similar experience. I, I remember when I, started taking cannabis, I realized like my sleep was improving. And I, you know, I was under so much stress. I mean, Amazon gets a lot of press for the stressful environment, even in the corporate environment, it was very stressful. And uh, also with the pain and, and everything else, it was kind of exacerbated. So I was prescribed sleeping pills. And then I was prescribed stimulants in the morning and, and other different types of medication just to like function throughout the week. And over time, like I, I, I don't need my sleeping pill. I'm, I'm actually falling asleep better. I mean, I, I would find um, a strain of cannabis that would, I would take it at night and I would sleep so well. In fact, I would feel like I woke up, like I hadn't had that good of sleep since I was a kid. 
Hmm. You know, and and then I would not need a stimulant. Like people would need their coffee at, at Amazon, but I mean, I, obviously, I didn't drink coffee, but you know, Diet Coke or anything like that, I didn't need that anymore. Um, and so I I actually abandoned probably five medications over time, and my health just improved dramatically. So that was a very liberating feeling for sure. So an interesting thing that I sort of have observed recently, there was uh, an article, and maybe it's even the genesis of this conversation. Um, that was in the magazine High Times, which people probably know as a uh, a magazine for for marijuana use, uh, mm-hmm. f- for lack of I guess been a, around for a, a long time. Yeah, it's been around for years and years and years. And I remember my friend Mikey growing up who had a copy of the magazine, and and we yeah. would look at it, and oh, we were so we were so edgy the way we looked at that High Times <laughs> magazine. Um, but it's interesting to me as I talk with members of the church and have seen even various polls, and we've even done some of them um, within the culture hall, whether it be on Twitter or on Facebook, it seems to me that the idea of uh, cannabis for medical purposes among members of the church is an accepted idea at this point, with a caveat of, we go, yeah, that's totally fine. Of course you can use that. And then the, the next question would be, well, yeah, would you use it? No, no, I would never use it. But exactly. it's per- but it's perfectly fine for medical use within the church. But yeah, but you've got, I mean, this extreme pain, this inflammation, these things that, you know, marijuana or cannabis is is known to resolve. Would you use it? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's surprising how, how much resistance because of the stigma is still there. I mean, we have not successfully removed the stigma and a lot of people really want to be on on the record as being supportive, but they're scared to try it. I mean, there's a lot of programming inside all of us. There was programming inside of me when I looked at it the first time and I was like, am I ready to kind of jump into this and and face these, you know, these risks that I was taught as a kid that I'm going to go insane and go, you know, jump out a window and all this stuff. I don't know if you've heard of reefer madness. I was, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people will know of this, of this time of reefer madness that man, if you do this, uncontrollable your life's going to fall apart yeah and 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 to some extent i mean there are it's not without risk but i think that's in an uninformed um un you know yeah uninformed population that's that's more likely than than in in a, a regulated medical program but yeah that's what i was afraid of and so i i think that a lot of members are of the same opinion like uh, where do I get it? And even if I do, I don't want that stigma attached to me. I don't want anyone to know that I'm using it. I think people, even if you bring it up in church and class, I think I brought it up once about my um, my experience with the church headquarters. And I think a lot of people were kind of like, uh, yeah, okay, good, good. Let's move on. You yeah. know? Uh, all right, and Nathan, this is uncomfortable. This might yeah, be a topic that's not com- in this, that's not in this book. Can we please move yeah. along, Nathan? Yeah, I think the but, cognitive dissonance is real, and I, I can't blame them for feeling that way. It's hard for the people who have kind of made that leap and figured it out. But for those who aren't, I, I don't discount the fact that they were raised on that propaganda. And it's hard to erase that. It's really hard. And and I think people, like, you know, logically let go of that. But, like, deep down inside, they have some major fears, and they don't want anyone to know about it because they don't want to be that family. Yeah. And so that's the big challenge. 
As a convert, I had a particular challenge because I was coming into the church and not trying to change anything, just wanting to be accepted. And that 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 played a part for me. And I, I actually wrote a blog piece about it called I Never Wanted to Be a Medical Marijuana Mormon because I didn't want my testimony of Jesus Christ tainted. I didn't want people to look at me, oh, she's just lo- looking at the the, the church and the faith with stoner eyes, if you would. Yeah. And I mean, I have, I sought out the church because of a prayer. I sought out the church because of personal revelation. And I didn't want any of that to be tainted. I didn't want my testimony of Jesus Christ to have this green tinge over it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really thick. I mean, anytime you make the association, it's, uh, people p- people have a lot of uh, preconceptions about cannabis that are really hard to erase. And so it, you, you're basically walking right into that if you come out on this. It, it's interesting. I wonder, uh, the missionaries who taught you, Maggie, what, if there was any sort of like discredit or discounting where it's like, sure, Maggie, and people can't see this, but I'm air quoting, found Jesus, did she? <laughs> she had an answer to her prayer. I mean... And again, just because of how these things have been stigmatized, especially within the church where, you know, we get taught about, you know, not being in control of our faculties and being able to have a clear mind and all these things, these things that we are inherently taught within the walls of the church, much, much of it is culture and not actually, you know, based on a factual thing. But I wonder what that experience was for you, Maggie. I actually had quite the trial about a year after I came into the church. And actually, strangely enough, exactly two weeks to the day after receiving um, my endowments, after going to the temple my first time, I fell profoundly backwards from a 10-foot tall attic ladder and landed on my um, T11 and shattered it. At the, I was at the bottom of the stairs screaming, call the missionaries, I need a blessing, call the 911. Well, 911 got there first and was taking me out um, of, of the house uh, on, the, on the stretcher. And when the elders got there and, and they said, Do you, are you sure you want a blessing right here, right now? I said, yes, before they take me to the hospital, I want a blessing. And so on the front lawn, they gave me a blessing with all of the neighbors watching. Those same neighbors watched as I learned how to walk again. Hmm. Those same neighbors watched as that blessing came true. Now, in the words of that that blessing, it said specifically that I was to follow the advice of my physicians. Well, much like um, Nathan, I am allergic to uh, NSAIDs. I cannot take uh, any anti-inflammatories. and so on the way to the hospital, they actually put a narcotic in my um, IV and I had a very bad reaction. Mm. Um, now, I, at that time, I had been off of fentanyl for over eight years. And when they gave me that particular drug, I, my body just went, went into a ma- massively nasty reaction. But they were kept saying that they had to give me something. They had to give me something. Well... My doctor was like, we, because of the laws, because of the federal laws, you can't have your cannabis at the hospital, but we want you on your cannabis. 
<laughs> That's the only way that you're going to get through this. And so it was actually a situation where my husband was smuggling me in capsules <laughs> with the knowledge of everybody involved. Uh, <laughs> I, I was but, I was really hoping that they were going to take you in your stretcher, like out in the back alley behind the hospital, <laughs> and let you and let you have have a joint or something like that, and then wheel you no, back but, in and be like, "No, what? We didn't know. We don't know where she went." She's, but see, what ended up happening is is my husband at the time was is not. I'm no longer. We divorced. D different four years different ago. podcast for a different time. I got it. Right, right, right. But he was a very contentious individual. Mm. And when it ended up coming up that we were having trouble affording um, basically his energy drinks, to be honest, <laughs> but he went to the bishop because he was having trouble affording food, using the fact that I was in the hospital at the time as an excuse to mm. ask for help, which, you know, whatever. But it came up that we used medical cannabis because the, the bishop had offered to help with, with medications. And, and, my, and that husband also used medical cannabis. And the bishop said, well, we're gonna have to talk about this. Now, now the missionaries that had, had taught me for my baptism had prayed about this situation. That bishop had prayed about the situation. This was a different bishop. He mm -hmm. was new in the country. He was he was new in the area. He was from Italy. He didn't know all of the laws. He hadn't been in, in, in the bishopric long. He didn't know the church's stance on medical versus recreational. Recreational had just happened, and there had been issuing of information about that. So he went to the stake president, and the stake president told him, in, or no uncertain terms, that my he needed to take my temple recommend away mm. from me. Strictly because of nothing else but the medical cannabis use. Correct, correct. And when Bishop Brisson told me this, I, I was literally in a steel back brace in uh, using a walker to get into to, to church. And he did, he said this with tears in his eyes and told me that he didn't feel a confirming witness, but we needed to be obedient. And that was also what I felt. And I gave him my temple recommend, something that I held extremely dearly, being a temple in history, family history consultant. And like I said, we both had tears in our eyes, but we felt the spirit that this would be resolved. And frankly, I wasn't going to the temple anyway because I was on bed rest except for going to church services. Within two months, but then it was about six weeks, Elder L. Tom Perry visited that stake. And he presided at a state conference that, um, in, in the words of my friend who also attended it, um, said that it was probably the um, biggest obedience rebuke that he had ever heard. Hmm. Elder Perry put his hand behind my state president at the time and said, if this man tells you to eat or drink or not to eat or drink, you do as he says, and it comes down on him. Hmm. But that's not his job anymore. He can sit down. Hmm. And I mean, there was just, you, you, you could feel the just shudder. I mean, this, if, you, if you ever heard Elder, Elder Perry speak, I mean, his booming voice. Yeah. He can sit down. And he called, the, the stake president that was called 
his day job is an agent for the FBI. Hmm. And so I didn't know what to think. Yeah. You know, at, at no time, at no time did anybody mention anything to me about my, my temple recommend during, you know, Elder Perry coming and visiting and, you know, all of that. And I got to shake his hand and feel the spirit. And that was really, really, really cool. Uh-huh. But then two weeks later, my bishop called me to my, to his office and with tears in his eyes again, he gave me my temple recommend back with an apology. Mm and said it should have never been taken from me. Hmm. And that is my testimony about the church and this plant. I think that's a, a, a great opportunity to take uh, another break. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about what, uh, what we should know moving forward, what we as members of the church can do to, to maybe uh, help facilitate these discussions, where we can great, uh, get good or great uh, knowledge about medical cannabis, because I think that's probably going to be the most powerful thing. We'll talk about that all coming up in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here for the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can reach out to us uh, in many ways. You can find us on any social media. We're always at the Cultural Hall, whether that's Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you can find us there at the Cultural Hall. You can always send us an email, too. Uh, it's contact at theculturalhall.com. And wherever you are listening to this episode, if you have never done it before, we ask that you would take a minute and leave a review. Tell people what you like about the show or maybe a favorite episode or uh, a way that this uh, this show has changed your life. We would love to hear those in review form. Uh, probably the most popular one is the Apple Podcasts, but certainly wherever you get it, they have an opportunity for you to leave a review and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Uh, Maggie and Nathan. The unfortunately fraud champed named Nathan. <laughs> uh, we cannot have a discussion about marijuana, medical cannabis, and not mention the church's involvement with Proposition 2 here in the state of Utah. Now, people listening to uh, the Cultural Hall are across the world, so we probably need to set the stage a little bit for what uh, Proposition 2 even is, and then talk uh, uh, about what happened and how the, the church was involved. Maybe we go to you, Nathan? Yeah, Prop 2 is an initiative to try and bring legalized uh, medical cannabis here in Utah. Um, uh, 2018, I believe, they decided to do a ballot initiative, which is a referendum for all of the, the public to vote on. And it, it was written up by um, the Prop 2 organization, and it was relatively good compared to other programs. Um, the church released some uh, concerns that they had with it. I think they had been uh, concerned about um, in other states, a lot of rec um, medical programs were failing and, and eventually turning into recreational programs. And since I had developed a relationship with them, trying to get their support for Prop 2, they, they, they were willing to meet with me and uh, anyone I was able to bring 
to discuss um, their concerns with Prop 2 and how it could be improved. I, they were really convinced that it wasn't too far from being um, adjusted to being palatable for the medical community, which was the big question mark is because the medical community in it, Prop 2 in its present, in, in the form that it was um, being voted on, the medical community was not very happy with it. Mm -hmm. um, and they were afraid that it was gonna turn into a, a recreational program, which would have other social costs. So they wanted to do that, but um, unfortunately, um, the conversation wasn't going well with the Prop 2 um, proponents. And so um, the church decided uh, that they would try and see if, if they could get Prop 2 people to, to come to the table. And uh, those, those efforts were fruitless. And so they decided, well, let's see what we can do by working with the legislature and let's get the people to the table who will come to the table like the, the, the medical community, um, law enforcement, a lot of others uh, to see if we can come up with something that will help these people. Now to back up, we had brought in, um, you know, in, in for, out of fear, a lot of patients were afraid that the church was gonna come out against medical cannabis. We had organized uh, two meetings with the church where we brought in patients. And these are patients with children with epilepsy, uh, patients with um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome that like, uh, um, and, and chronic pain, MS, people who are pleading with the church for understanding on this. And the church was, you know, when I first met with them, I think they were a little bit skeptical. They, they were of the opinion that, hey, you know, this, this is something that if it's really legitimate, will come down from the federal government. But as they listened to stories, they were touched and they brought it up with leadership. And over time, their hearts were softened. And they said, this really does need to happen. Just a few, thing, few things need to change and we can get, make this compatible. So that was their role was to try and bridge and to bring Prop 2 up to uh, the standards that would make it a successful program. But that um, was a difficult process. There was a lot of contention. There was a lot of people on the side of Prop 2 who wanted the church to stay out of it. Naturally, they believe church and state should be separated. Mm -hmm. um, I, being a member of the church, really felt like it was important for at least 60% of the state to have the, the support of their religion behind them. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to... Um, work with them to see what we could do to make the make to, to get them on board and get the medical community and it really wasn't very much and so i was just going to say it, and it's interesting for people that are outside of utah who don't know this kind of firsthand uh it also you mentioned the kind of the initiative that was voted upon by voters like voters said yeah we're in favor of this prop two thing and then kind of uh not back alley but uh the the state uh, in in cooperation with the church sort of and this is this is very much boiling it down said that's great that yeah. you voted on that we're going to rework this and give you something else well i think they knew so so the the person in charge of government relations at the lds church used to be the speaker of the house for 10 years mm -hmm. and he knew how politics worked and he said he knew very well that that propositions have passed in the past and they've been replaced by the legislature and he was afraid that prop 2 in its current form even if it did pass, that the medical community would never support it. And, and by virtue, the legislature would never support it. Yeah. And so it would be, you know, destroyed. And then you wouldn't have, you know, a lot of the community support. And so I think that's where they were coming from and saying, look, why don't we try and fix Prop 2? But because it was so hard to get people at the table, um, it was such a contentious topic. They had to, to move forward with um their own initiative. I mean, they said, basically, we're going to do this on our own if we have to. 
and that's what brought the the um, opposition to the table. And uh, Speaker Greg Hughes, um, he he proposed this compromise discussion where they would bring in the the leaders of Prop Two, and um, I guess the church in their role they played kind of a broker. They brought all the peacemaker or all the decision makers to the table. They brought the the medical association. They brought um, this coalition of uh, community leaders like law enforcement, and they got them all together to, I think Greg Hughes deserves a lot of credit for bringing this together, but it, they brought even the opponents together to to agree on this compromise. And that's how it happened. It, it wasn't brinksmanship. It was is really just sitting down and saying, look, we have common goals. We can we can work this out. It's a it's a fascinating subject. The thing that I think is even more fascinating is that we have just barely scratched the surface with medical cannabis and our time has nearly expired. So uh, I, I, I want to leave. We have three questions that we ask everyone that steps into the cultural hall. But before I get to those, I um, I would ask each of you to just maybe take a minute. Um, what can we do to um, better or increase or um, clarify medical cannabis use? Like what, what should we be doing? We'll have you guys back. We'll answer some questions. People can send us questions to contact at the cultural hall.com. We'll get uh, Maggie we'll get Nathan back and we can do a follow-up with listener questions and, and that in the future. But what can we do walking away from the conversation that we have had today? What can we do to, to improve the discussion around medical cannabis? And it goes ladies first, Nathan, sorry. well i i lean towards education um and i don't mean social media Mm. i mean continuing to educate yourself if you have a curiosity about cannabis there are books out there (laughs) (laughs) that i'm writing one right now about the very basics of of cannabis use for members of the church. It's specifically called a good herb in its time. Mm. I'm trying to create the manual that you can take to your bishop or your physician. That's what I'm doing. Um, But until it comes out, educate yourself. Do anything that you can. I mean, search and read read things that are well-reviewed by by professionals, not that are coming out as propaganda. And more than anything else, strengthen your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is, it's critical, personal revelation plays a critical part in this type of therapy as it does in anything else we do. Mm. Try and follow that, Nathan. Well, I think it's helpful to remember that um, cannabis is a plant that Heavenly Father created. And I think a lot of people you know, like to buy into the idea that, no, this is a noxious weed, which it's not. It's very far from a noxious weed. It's one of the most medicinal. It has so many medicinal compounds in it already. Um, I think the challenge is there's a lot of, um, what's the word? It's, it's in the shadows a little bit because it's still illegal federally. So Facebook blocks any searches for cannabis. So we create groups and forums where people can meet and talk and ask questions because oftentimes the doctors aren't taught medical cannabis in school. So they have no training and you ask them there, they want to be authoritative, but they don't, they, they often don't have the, the training to, to, to know how to answer that. So these forums can be helpful, but 
you can't find them. So what we could do is provide some links to you of resources that you can click on and go find out and learn from other people. I think education, I agree with Maggie 100%, but that's a good way to go. I think the second thing you can do is encourage. So if you're in Utah, um, encourage your doctor to, to go and take the educational materials. I have a twin brother who's a doctor. I actually work in his clinic. I do the marketing. Um, he was skeptical about cannabis because he was never taught anything about it, but he just completed the training along with his other staff and they're, they're bought into it. They mm. bought into it. Another clinic next door, same. They're, they're, and they're very respected doctors. The Department of Health here in Utah, very uh, excellent pedigrees on these doctors. They went through the, 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 it's called continuing medical education training, and they were blown away by the medicinal qualities. So I think it's a little bit of a, a PR challenge. You kind of got to work slowly to, to, to get people on board. And the medical community is probably the best place to start. But for your own education purposes, we can send some links out where you can get some of the basics, just the 101. And once you get, you know, Cannabis 101 you're, and your doctor's on board, you can really kind of figure out how to, how to approach this. But I think that's the biggest challenge is it's been kept in the shadows and it still is being kept in the shadows. A couple of things on that. We'll have those links available along with this episode of theculturalhall.com so people can just very easily hyperlink to those things. And I think it also probably uh, goes without saying, except that I always love when people say it goes without saying and then say the thing. Uh, so I'll do that right now. <laughs> that that medical cannabis may not be for everyone. Like it may be it may be a thing, uh, as Maggie pointed out, that, that personal revelation, that personal experience with it. You may say, hey, this could be a really great thing and find that it is not the thing for you. So I think that there is that um, allowance of that in this space as well. Now to the three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask each of them to both of you. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I do. It, as I mentioned, <laughs> Temple and Family History Consultant. <laughs> and Nathan? Gospel Doctrine Teacher. Awesome. Uh, if you guys could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, when I, when I grew up, I want to work in the temple. You want to work in the temple? Any particular yes. temple? Um, well, I, I, I have an affinity towards Snowflake. I used to uh, volunteer at the Snowflake Temple in Arizona, but my home temple is, is Seattle, where I received my endowment. So I love it, too. Nathan? I think I would keep the same. I love this calling. I mean, it's, it's great for me. It's a good fit for me. So... All right, and then the last question uh, will go Maggie first, and then Nathan, you're going to bring us home. Uh, the interpret interpretation of this question is up to you guys, but the question is, is what is your favorite part of your faith? Favorite art of my faith? The music, the gospel music. I love the hymns. And my favorite part is the interaction with the Spirit. Um, I... I love the scriptures. I love the Book of Mormon. And when I read it, it just comes to life for me. And I've loved the whole Come Follow Me experience. And so this has been um, really enjoyable for me. But I, I love the communion with the Spirit more than anything. Yeah. Uh, a great first discussion that we've had here about medical cannabis. I look forward to having a, an appointment set with you guys and having you, the, the missionaries of medical cannabis, come back in for another discussion. Again, don't forget, if you have questions, things that they can uh, either answer in the next episode or I'll give them 
uh, a heads up. They'll be able to research them if they don't know the answers. Uh, I think you guys are open to that in upcoming episodes. Absolutely. Love to. Definitely. You can send those to contact at theculturalhall.com. Uh, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body and that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.